You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We want to inspire you to be in your financial front seat by knowing what you own, what you owe, how to reach your goals, and by having an annual checkup. Learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. Her money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money and welcome to an honest conversation. This week, we are getting honest. We're always honest, but we're getting really honest. We're getting honest about our money, our careers, our health, our relationships, and everything in between because the lies and excuses we continue to tell ourselves or others could be keeping us from ultimately turning our dreams into reality. That's what Lauren Handel-Zander says. She is the co-founder and chairwoman of Handel Group, and the author of, and I love this, Maybe It's You, Cut the Crap, Face Your Fears, Love Your Life, a no-nonsense practical manual that helps readers figure out not just what they want out of life, but how to actually get it. Lauren, mm-hmm. uh-huh. she <laughs> says, mm-hmm. thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So we are big fans of coaches on this show. We talk to coaches, life coaches, financial coaches, executive coaches, mm. It sounds like you do it all, but you do it a little bit in your face. So why that approach? So I think no one's really facing their dark side, right? Like you really are not on your diet and you really are eating something else. And someone really wants to eat that cookie and Mm -hmm. maybe it's you, right? So, and then we tell a pity party story and we get, so I needed someone to get in my face. Let's just start with the truth, right? Well, tell us about that. <laughs> what do you mean? What, well, how did, how did you get from there to here? So I, many areas in my life were not working in my late 20s. I'm now well into my 40s, 48 years old. You cannot complain to me. I'm 53. I think we're doing great. We are doing I great. I am very but, happy. But I, I just I have, am not complaining. I have no sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't looking for your sympathy. I was forking over my age. Okay, good for 48-year-old. All right. Three kids, happily married, and love my career. None of that was in the bag. And even like my butt, right? Like, even like how I look after the three kids. So um, what was going on my whole life was that I had lies, excuses, and full-blown explanations for why I couldn't have what I want. And so in my early 20s, I cut it out. Right. I lost the 15 pounds from college. Mm -hmm. Right. I got out of the job I was not happy in. And I believed in myself and went for it in a way that I didn't know was possible for a little 28 year old. You cannot say I want to be financially successful and then watch TV for the evening. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can't say I'm thirsty and not drink a glass of water. I did just say the same thing. Right. There really is cause and effect. And if you have a body you're not happy in, if you have a bank account you're not happy in, I swear the tagline, maybe it's you, Mm -hmm. really works, which is really good news. So how did you open your eyes? What's your bad answer? So my my (laughs) my bad answer was I couldn't take it anymore. It really did start with my body. 
I heard myself. I'm not even kidding, right? So this is when I broke into that the inner dialogue is the biggest problem in our lives, how Mm -hmm. we talk to ourselves and pretend we're not. Like we don't really know what we're saying in there. So I caught myself yelling at myself, at my shadow, because my tuss looked so big in my own shadow that I found myself yelling at myself about my own shadow. And in that moment, I got the comedy of how full of it I was, that I'm not doing anything about. Like, the whole thing was like, what is this? This is crazy that I'm hurt, sad, pathetic, and upset at myself, yelling at myself, but doing nothing actually about it except the yelling part. And that's when I had my first real epiphany Mm -hmm. that, one, my inner dialogue was crazy corrupt in there. Right. It had no like and swear to but Jesus, it's headed for a froyo place right now. Right. right. Like it has no agenda to go with mine. Okay. Right. And that's when I started to get I don't live true to my own dreams. I don't even know what my dreams are. I haven't even figured out anything. I'm a victim of my own inner dialogue. And out of that sprung mm-hmm. what you call the handle method. That's right. Handel for my handel, handel for my maiden name. Thanks, Papa. Right. <laughs> so, so what is it and how does it work? So it's a, it is a I hate this sentence, a step-by-step approach. But I really did develop it um, at MIT with the students there, which is brilliant because they're a bunch of, like, nitpicky engineers, yep. right, who need everything kind of spelled out perfectly. So I developed the method, did a human study there, did everything there with a professor from MIT, and spent 10 years developing how to really give it away. Okay. Right. And if you follow these instructions, you will catch your own inner dialogue. You will start to have dreams and visions for yourself. You will connect the dots of how your parents, in the nicest way we can say this, screwed you up. Right. Like every last bit of it. Right. With a sense of humor, love and being mad at any of it isn't going to work. And the only person you can go after is yourself. And even that requires a sense of humor, as you can hear. So you could go, my tone is really tough, but you would also be able to go, my tone is tough while I'm making fun of myself and you. Right. At the same time. Yes. Which I think is is about as enlightened as a human better get. Absolutely. (laughs) So the Handel method divides people's lives into 12 areas. Yes. And money is number six on the list. Yes. How does your methodology apply in general and how does it apply to money? First of all, money is one of the biggest problems people have. So it's one of the top areas that I am working on constantly. Career, money, love, body. Yep. Then family. Then community. Right? Like so, but that has nothing that that doesn't mean it's right or the order's right or that I'm picking the order. Well, the order is whatever is right for you. Right. It's it, the the most important thing is to separate out the areas so that you actually have to have a dream. In all of them. What happens is, is everybody puts all their little eggs in two baskets. And then their whole life is about their children mm-hmm. and their career. Right. And then the value of your life, you know, really didn't turn out. And then, God forbid, one of them goes badly. Right? Like your career, like you, you, everything, you lose so all the meaning. So you're diversifying your life essentially here. By by dividing into 12, if one of them goes badly, that's such a big deal. You're very economical. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the answer is the more you really make the base happy, yep. like the common denominator happy, the more fulfilling your whole life is. How does it work? 
So in order to sit with me, so if you're my client, that's one thing. If you're doing the book, that's another thing. But it's both like you have to do the homework to sit with me. You have to do the homework to get value out of this. Though rumor has it you can read the book and like it and think you learned some nice tips without actually doing it. Okay. Okay. But the person who does it. I think people read my books and and sometimes do the same thing, by the way. Yes. um, It will not work. It's lovely. It will make you slightly insightful, but not about your own life. So that was my warning label. See my tough love attitude. Gotcha. And read her books and do them too. Okay. So what was the, what was the question? Where am I? So the question was, take me through a section. How does it work? What kind of questions do we ask ourselves? Mm. And how do we use the information that we get in the answers mm. to help move us forward? Okay. So the first step is to have a dream. To this day, I have never read a client's dream that didn't need to, like, do the next chapter and figure out that their dream is riddled with fears and upsets and things that they wish were different, but they're fixes. I hope I get out of debt this year, right? Like, I really stop overspending. Mm-hmm. That is not a dream, right? So the, so first, I have to teach someone how to dream. So okay. now assume they came up with a great dream. Okay, and the great. dream is... I love my career. I bought a house. Okay. I got an investment property. I'm in your town. Um, I, you know, saved all, like, for every dollar I made, I loved putting 25% away. Gotcha. Even if it's just a dollar. So the dreams are the positive moves in the right it's direction. It's a and they're And they're, they're big. They're a vision. It's a vision for yourself. Okay. Right? And so once you have a vision, you then can rate on a scale of 1 to 10, and I give people a rating scale on a scale of 1 to 10. What what would you rate yourself right now against that dream? So that's second next question. Mm-hmm. And then why did you give yourself that rating? And then what's between you and an 8, 9, or 10, like your highest level of standard, right? And so all of a sudden what's happening is that inner dialogue that I say is the criminal in there that I need to get sorted out just puked, right? Didn't it just say everything it thinks? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's just like, it's because of this and it's because of this, and right? Like it like literally got up. I gave it a pulpit. Right. And it went out on its own. And so that is the beginning. And especially if I can read that in the 12 different areas, I can start to get a person to face their logic, their negative beliefs, how they see themselves. And then throughout the book, you'll you'll literally understand where it all came from and that it's not personal. It comes with the human condition. You're helping people get honest with themselves. Deeply face themselves and figure out, like, the only reason to do it is because you have a dream and you're here to live for real good purpose. Like, what's your purpose? I don't care what your purpose is. I don't care if you want to get laid a lot. I don't care what it is. (laughs) I'm not in on your agenda. I'm in on telling the truth and knowing it and then taking the actions to have it and catch that inner dialogue, which is usually your hypocrisy. That purpose Mm. is often riddled with hypocrisy, I think. You know, when people talk about I'm being true to myself, Mm. I'm being, you know, this is who I am. You're, you're making, <laughs> you guys can't see Lauren, but she's making faces at me. <laughs> it's true. I'll take any form of being true to yourself on the way to being true to yourself. Because the minute you say it, you can feel the hypocrisy. You go, I'm committed to having a great body. And then what did you just put in your mouth? I'll take hypocrisy first. Okay. Beautifully. Right. Like, come on, let's let's hang ourselves on the truth. First, say what you want. And then, you know, you're full of it the minute you're doing something else. 
I want to come back to that difference in a second because there's a difference, I think, between saying it and doing it, mm. right? And mm. and we can say it all day long, and we can even say it and know we're hypocritical all day long. And even have the right friends and, to go with the whole hypocrisy, too. Right, and, still, and still not do it. So noodle on that for a second while <laughs> I remind everybody that her money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Our shared mission is to get you talking about money and inspiring you to always be in the financial front seat. And I just have to say, with Lauren sitting here, being honest with yourself is such an important part of that front seat journey. Understanding where you are and understanding how to get there and understanding, most importantly, how you are standing in your own way are all steps that you need to take to get in the front seat. So whether you're just entering the workforce or running a business or taking a break to raise a family or getting ready to retire, Fidelity has tools and resources that can help you understand where you stand today and help you get where you want to go. Discover more at fidelity.com slash front seat. We are talking with Lauren Zander, author of Maybe It's You. And I do think we lie to ourselves an awful lot and we tell ourselves that we want to be doing things certain ways mm-hmm. and we may even believe it. Mm-hmm. But in the getting book, like in the book I have eight different types of lies that we're constantly oh, telling. Oh, tell me about these. Okay, and there are studies that say, ready? That a person an average human being lies 11 times a day. Yeah, I can believe that. Right, like easily. Right. Right? Like ah, 11, that's nice. That's actually generous. <laughs> okay. Right. So when I get a person to start to face their lies, right, it's the worst experience of my life to get you. So the only way I can get you to start telling your lies is if I start telling you my top 100. Right. So I have to give out a lie list, tell everything I ever lied about to make someone comfortable starting to admit they lie. Right. Okay. So the different types of liars withholding information, everybody and people defend like, I'm keeping secrets. I'm allowed to have secrets. I'm allowed to have secrets about what I think about you, too. Right? Like, every which way I don't have to tell the truth. And as long as I withhold it, it's not a lie. Right? Or I don't think you can handle the truth or any form of that. Okay? So withholding wins Academy Awards yep. in an individual's life. And gets you into I get I get into more trouble for withholding than anything else because sometimes I withhold things that I've like scheduled in my day or mm. scheduled on my calendar. Mm. And um, my husband doesn't really like that. He doesn't like that? He doesn't he like He doesn't it. like you disappearing mm. and no. saying it was always there? It was always did. there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have a husband like that too. And if I did that, I would get in trouble too. So there's withholding. There's, watch this one. We, th- we actually believe in the white lie business, right? Oh, I'm so sorry I was late. The traffic was terrible. No, you left 15 minutes late. Right. Okay, you know that. But you just blame the city, right? But that doesn't really count, does it? It's like a white lie. It's like a social grease, right? And then there's exaggerating. We exaggerate. Oh, my God, he was the funniest guy in the world, right? It was okay. All right, so, like, (laughs) it's not bad. And then we under-exaggerate. Like, yeah, I did well last year. But you don't want anyone, like, you're scared to tell the truth because people will judge you. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, like, you know. There's so, we have so many reasons for why we lie. So how did these lies hurt us? I mean, as you're describing them, I can see that I'm hurting, if not annoying, other people mm-hmm. if I tell these sorts mm-hmm. of lies. But how do they hurt us? Okay. This is quick. I'll get this in two sentences. 
when you have to lie or you think you have to keep people happy or you manage your schedule however you are, like whatever you're doing, it actually makes you feel like a martyr. It makes you feel like a good person. Like there's something that keeps you so familiar in all the ways you stay the same, right? Like, oh, I've been so good on my diet, but really at 10 o'clock at night, you're allowed to run down to the right to the freezer, Mm -hmm. right? And anything you eat past 10 doesn't really count. You still say you're good on your diet, right? But that's stress eating, right? So everyone has these caveats that then defend their lying. And then it leaves you able to do it on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, right? And then you don't know, like, it's not your fault, right? It's the stress of your child. It's the, So people have sagas going on in that inner dialogue of theirs. The saga then keeps you fixed, and it's riddled with lies. So if I just rip the lying out and start to get you to face how you lie and get you to stop being willing to lie— you're making some progress. You don't, you're like in your first, you're in first person, right? So there really is, because of you, I have to lie. Because of you, I have to, like, there's this story in your head that makes you a role and everyone else a role. It's kind of a bit of a puppet show. You want to keep that puppet show going, you keep the lies going. You keep the niceties going. You keep everything going. You want to mess this whole story up and get you present? Take away anything in that room. One of the most important things to take away is you're right to lie because no one actually believes really in lying. Right. Actually. Right. And no one wants to be lied to. This is my joke. I go, where's the lying section in the bookstore? (laughs) Where is it? Like, come on. If you look at like what's wrong with planet Earth, we would all go, you know, I think we should stop lying. (laughs) Get granular with me for a second about it could be the lies and money, but Mm. it could be the other things that you see and you hear when it comes to money. Because I want to leave people with a couple of things that we can all do differently tomorrow or today when we stop listening to this podcast. What I have found, especially with women, is we, no one's going to like me saying it this straight. Okay. That's okay. okay. Everybody okay? Everybody Everybody breathe. (laughs) Hold on a second. Here we go. We play so dumb with money, it's awesome. We play like, like I don't know what it took like to go in my mother's closet. Like, I don't know what, it, like, we play dumb. Women can play very dumb about being accountable for money. Even if they're making it, even if their husband makes a whole lot, like, no matter what the circumstances are. You think that's still true? Um, I, uh, yes. Oh, she's, I mean, I know, I know. I know I, <laughs> Come on now. I would argue... My listeners are not stupid. They're here because they want to learn. They're here because they want to be better with their money. I I know someone who's worth so much money and all her husband wishes for her is to have her understand how much money they have. And she's still a nut about not understanding what they have. And goes crazy over, you know, how long does it take for her to grocery shop? It doesn't just have to be overspending. Mm-hmm. It could be underspending. It could be scared people are stealing from you. It could be any any subject where you don't understand the money that you have or don't have. Well, and I think it's probably particularly true when it comes to investing. I think I <laughs> that think- would be a miracle if they were investing. Right. No, we are investing. We're doing it. If we have a job, we're doing it through our 401ks. We're just not 401ks. We're just not yes. owning that we're investing. We, we could be so much. So the amount I help a woman get a raise, 
plot raises and then invest their money Mm -hmm. would make you proud, but would also horrify you how easy it is to help them and how unlikely they were going to get help by themselves. What was the step that they needed to take to open them up, the women that you're helping? What did they need to do to open themselves up to turning the corner? Uh, Again, this is going to be a bit rude. It's okay, Guff. You can go for it. When I make the point that money is not an exponential geometry, like it's not this complicated domain, it's actually addition and subtraction. You can get this, girl. If I can get this, you can get this. I swear there's only about two books you have to read. And then anything else you could do, like, I'm going to make you read these two books because they actually work. Which two books do you make them read? (laughs) I hope they pass your test. It's okay. Okay. It's Millionaire Next Door. Perfect. And um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Also good. Right. So that people understand how much smarter we all could be about money. Those books change a woman forever. They really do. And then it's, I have no doubt we're brilliant. That's not the kind. It's just allowed to go, I don't know, and then stop at the door, right? Like, don't have to go through, don't, like, and then just so you know, just like they don't mean to be eating the cookies, are they spending the money, right? Are they, like, blowing dumb money on that latte, right? And whatever they're spending it on that they have no permission spending it on if they were shrewder and understood how much fun it is to be great at it. I don't have trouble... (laughs) with people spending money on the things that are important to us. I just would like it to be more conscious. I'm not I'm not the money police. I, and I've said that I many, am. many times. No, <laughs> you know, you know, I, I think I, I think this is why it's your money. And you should do things with your money that make you happy or that set you up for security. Mm. It's not me it's not up to me to tell you necessarily what things are going to make you happy, but I do want to make you think about what things are going to make you happy. Yeah. I have never, no one thinks money makes them happy in the end with me, right? But being really smart, that's, you know, but then again, no one thinks brushing their, you know, that brushing your teeth is really the way to keep all those teeth in that head of yours, right? So money is like this basic that you better be able to design with. Exactly. That's sort of what I'm saying. Yes, exactly. I'm, I I teach that too. And then people play very, I don't like dumb. Is it like, who me? Right? Like I have something to do with my weight, my money, my circumstances, you know, and that, that none of that's true. You know exactly what's going on. You can. Lauren Handel's and are <laughs> teaching us all to cut the crap. You got to love that. Thank yes. you so much for being here. It's really my pleasure. The book is Maybe It's You, and we'll be back with Kelly in just a second. Thank you. So Kelly has joined me in the studio. Hey, Kelly. Hi, everyone. It feels like a while since we've been here. I just have to say that. We sometimes do batch recordings because Jean travels a lot, and we've probably been out of the studio. You were traveling, too. I did travel a little bit with you this time. (laughs) It was fun. We went to Arizona for a fantastic conference. And saw Kelly's mom. Yes, saw mom, saw Dottie. And so we've been out for about a month. And so we're finally back in, and we are very happy to be back. And we're back, and it's spring in New York. Fine. Finally. Finally. You know what? Tomorrow it's going to be summer. So it's going to be 85 degrees. We didn't get a spring. Not at all. That was a great conversation. And thank you for suggesting Lauren. She was terrific. Love the tough love approach. I know. She's hilarious. Well, And I told her in the beginning, like, there are so many times when you just want to say, C- 
cut the crap to somebody, and you don't say it because <laughs> your mother didn't raise you that way, right. or you're trying. But I, I just, I like that. I struggle with this too because with my loved ones, some of them make the same excuses over and over and over again, and you want to be supportive and yes. listen. But at some point, being supportive is kind of holding up the mirror and saying, like, look, maybe it's you. So I struggle with that moment of, like, the right time to do it. The passive-aggressive person in me also (laughs) struggles with the fact that sometimes when I'm hearing the same complaint over and over again, that's when I stop returning phone calls, I have to say. I I just And I feel really bad about it, but I can't – I just can't hear it anymore. I know. And this isn't money-related, but you have the girlfriend or the friend who makes the same dating or goes down the same path in dating Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. It's like how many times can you be supportive? So uh, yes, that's all other show. I know, absolutely. All okay. right, well, we'll bring Lauren back to talk yes. about to talk about dating, but let's let's get to some questions. Yes, our first question is from Jane. I paid off my car last week. My credit score was seven hundred thirteen and dropped to six hundred ninety yesterday. I have paid my bills on time for the past fifteen months. I have one credit card with zero balance and a mortgage loan, no other debt. Please let me know how I can increase my credit score. I want to achieve a score of seven fifty or better. All right. Well, let's take a step back and discuss the most important parts of a credit score, because I think that will get us to the answer and help you figure out where you're lacking. So on-time payments. Sounds like she's paying everything on time. But if you're not, you should know that even one or two late payments can really take your score down. So if you have any trouble with late payments, you want to put things on automatic pilot. And the way to deal with that with a minimum credit card balance, because we don't like people to pay the minimum, we want you to pay it all, is to set up the automatic payment for a number that you know is going to be at least your minimum, and then go in and adjust it before the bill actually has to go out. So that's number one, and that accounts for about 30% of your score. Number two is credit utilization, and that is the percentage of credit that you have that you are using. And you want to be using no more than 10 to 30% of that credit on each individual credit card and on all your credit cards combined on a regular basis. This is going to be the fastest way to boost your score. Not paying down debt, because paying down debt means coming up with money to pay down debt, and sometimes that's harder said than done, but expanding capacity. So go back to your creditors or open another credit card and boom, you've got another credit line, and that should help pop your score. You can do it without opening another credit card if you go back to your current cards and just say, hey, could you give me a credit line increase? And usually that's very, very easy. Mm -hmm. Um, The third thing they like to see is a mix of credit. The fourth thing is that you are not out there looking for a whole bunch of credit. So if you are going to take out a new credit card, just pick the one you want. Go to a website like CardHub where they look at what kind of people will get accepted into these programs and they base it on your current credit score. Don't apply for one you're not going to get because that's just useless and then you have to go through the process again and that'll take your score down. And finally, the length of your credit relationships. And so if you've got credit relationships that are long standing, you don't want to 
exit out of those. For your situation, I would say two things. First of all, that difference, although it seems like a big difference in your credit score, that small drop, not a big difference at all. I would chalk it up to capacity. You had a big credit line for that car loan. You no longer have that. That explains it. But focus on building up the um, pool of credit that you have available to you while not using it, and that should right the situation. And congratulations for paying off your car loan. Yeah, by all means, and for keeping the car. That, you know, <laughs> no, cars last such a long time yeah. these days. I get frustrated with people who think, woohoo, I paid off my car loan, it's time to get a new car. No. People think like that? People sometimes think like that. It's it's not time to get a new car. It's time to take the money that you were paying on that car loan and funnel it automatically into something else where it's going to make headway for you. So maybe it's retirement. Maybe it's an emergency fund. Maybe it's a student loan. It's just use it for a specific purpose. Otherwise, you'll find yourself using it for no specific purpose mm -hmm. and wondering where it went. Hmm. I know we need to get to the next question, but I had a mini panic attack with Dottie the other day and it reminds me of this question. So I've been an authorized user on her account, mm -hmm. where her, one of her credit card accounts, for a long time. And I think that's why I have the score that I do, which yeah. is really high. You're piggybacking. That's yes, what that's called. I sure am. And <laughs> I'm very grateful for it. But she told me she was going to either get us a new card or do something. And I remember it being like a very brief conversation months ago. And it happened. And I knew that it happened because I have frozen my credit. So I got multiple dings that I have a new line of credit open. And then I quickly texted her and I was like, wait, did we close that one account? Because that's such yeah. a long history for us. And she didn't. She Good. kept it open. And we opened a new one because the rewards are much more in line with our spending and we'll get more for it. But no, I to your point about like how important it is to have like the history involved and also the how many lines of credit like that all plays into it so I haven't looked at my score and how it's been affected but I do know that I can relate to that question speaking of conversations that you had with your parents and to quote our friend Bobby Rebel who um, talks about being a financial grown-up <laughs> yeah. you had a big financial grown-up moment with your mom I did she took you off the cell phone Oh, plan. my gosh, she did. I had a huge financial grown-up moment, and I am no longer on the family plan. Oh, no. It's bittersweet. <laughs> it was upsetting. I mean, I remember when it happened. And not that it was upsetting because you couldn't afford it because you can certainly, right. you know. But it made me think, oh, boy, I better be very, very careful when I have that conversation with my kids that they're on their own. It was more dramatic for me than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. It was it was it was time. It was time. Okay. Right. One more. Sorry everyone. Paige, we'll do one from Paige. I've worked full-time for my company since August 2017. I previously worked for the company on a PRM basis in 2014. That's the acronym for the Latin phrase pro renata, which means when necessary, and I know this because I googled it. And I received the same rate then and now, except now I receive PTO and some benefits. I recently learned my direct supervisor is resigning at the end of the month. I'm considering asking for a pay increase. How would you suggest approaching this, especially with regard to timing? Hmm. Does it sound to you like she wants the job that her supervisor had? I I'm having trouble. So. I, it sounds a little bit, Paige, it sounds a little bit like you want to go for this job. Yeah. And that, that being um, on PRM is not really making you super happy. And so my inclination would be 
if you think the waters can handle it, to talk to your supervisor about the opportunities that might open up from your supervisor leaving. Because Mm -hmm. if they're leaving on good terms, then a recommendation from them might go a very, very long way to opening up a whole host of opportunities for you, and and those opportunities should come with more money. Um, does that sound like I, I was having a little trouble parsing the question? But does that sound like what she's asking? I think so. Or yes, that could be it, and that could be one way if she wants that position, position, or if she wants to maintain this when necessary status or this more part time status. And I think she's thinking that's a pool of money that will no longer be going to this person, which means there are resources freed up to go now to her. In which case, I would probably ask your current supervisor rather than waiting for a new supervisor because your current supervisor knows you, has a history with you, likes you, Mm -hmm. where to assume if, especially if they brought you back for a second assignment. And in order for you to get more money from somebody new in the position, you're going to have to go through establishing that whole relationship with them. So I'd just go for it while you've got the shot with your supervisor. Then they can leave and leave their replacement to deal with the fact that they now have a higher payroll. Right. Okay. Amazing. Before we go, just a reminder that we are launching a private Facebook group, and we would love to have you involved. There are going to be so many fun things happening there, mm-hmm. Facebook Lives, interactions. Happy hours. We'll be checking in. Yes, we will have a Her Money Happy Hour on our Facebook Live. But you got to be part of the group to be part of these things. And so if you have yet to do so, send us a message where you send in your questions. Kelly will add you to the list and get you all the info when it comes out. Amazing. Thank Thank you, you. Jean. Sure. So you've probably noticed that Venmo and PayPal have some new company in the peer-to-peer payment space. There is an app that could either be a great way to pay back friends or somewhat problematic, as we learned this week in the New York Times. Zelle is a service that allows anyone with a bank account to instantly transfer money to someone else. It's owned by a lot of the country's biggest banks, and it grew very rapidly because of its ease of use. All you have to do is enter the phone number or the email address of the person that you want to send money to, which sounds really, really simple, right? The New York Times says it may be a little too simple. The Times cited multiple instances of people losing money during transactions using Zelle, including some people who didn't even know they were using the app. Apparently, Zelle doesn't always notify customers when money is transferred. Now, fraudulent charges aren't the end of the world. Most banks, certainly most big ones, have policies that protect against fraud, but those protections vary bank to bank. Bank of America, for example, tells customers using Zelle, quote, you are protected by the same security you're used to where you will not be liable for fraudulent transactions. But the catch is that transactions are only considered fraudulent if the customer did not authorize them. This means if you accidentally misdirect funds to someone by typing in one wrong letter in an email address or one wrong number in a phone number, you've got no protection. So should you avoid Zelle altogether? Well, I don't. I've been using Zelle and I use Venmo as well. But you just have to remember, 
Zelle was created to send money to friends and family only. If you are on Craigslist browsing around for concert tickets, do not use Zelle. Second, if you're sending money, make doubly, triply sure that you've got your contact's details right and maybe avoid zelling anything to that friend who changes cell phone numbers every six months. Lastly, never give out your personal details via cell phone. The bank, much like the IRS, will never call and ask you to verify account numbers, passwords, or security codes. If you try these payment systems and you like them, let us know. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Lauren Handel Zander for the fantastic conversation. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review because we love hearing what you think. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week. We'll be back with another great guest, and we'll talk soon.